0: Welcome to On Air with LG, brought to you by LG Electronics European Air Solution Team. We know that in today's digital world, time is limited, attention is short, and everyone is busier than ever. That's why we're bringing the HVAC industry's hottest topics on air, where you can both learn and be inspired on the go. Join us for a new episode every two weeks, where we answer your most pressing questions and explore the constantly shifting world of HVAC topics like the energy transition, renewable innovation, and the past, present, and incredibly bright future that our industry has to offer to both our lifetime achievers as well as the next generation of professionals. I'm Melissa Moeller, your host throughout this series, and I hope you enjoy. In this episode, we're here with Pierre-Henri Chouet, avid aviator, motivational speaker, and author of the bestseller, Debrief. And we're discussing the importance of communication, especially when on-the-job reactivity is key learn more about his motto, aviate, navigate, communicate, and how he uses tactics he learned as a fighter pilot to help businesses improve productivity by knowing what to do during times of cognitive saturation, incoming threats, and the fast pace, always on nature of today's world. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you. Um, Let's jump right in. Uh, basically, your motto is aviate, navigate, and communicate. So would you mind telling us a little bit about where you arrived at this method and what it means towards uh, how you uh, suggest that people communicate more effectively with each other?
1: Sure, um, so aviate, navigate, communicate is what we call the going back to the basics in aviation. Every single time your workload spikes, every single time you have the feeling things aren't in control, What's going to kill you in an aircraft is what we call the basics. And the basics is flying the aircraft, making sure you're not going to crash. And to be sure not to crash, you have to make sure you have the good attitude and the good airspeed. So it's all about focusing on flying the aircraft first. What we want you to do is to fly the aircraft. So you want to stop everything that you're doing, you're going to stop communicating with the outside world, and you're going to put your hands on the, on the joystick and flies the aircraft first. And that's what Aviate is all, around, is all about. It's taking the controls and making sure you're not about to crash in the next 20 or 30 seconds. So once you're sure you've got enough airspeed, you have to know where you're going. So that's a navigate side. So you want to head the aircraft in the good direction, make sure you're not heading toward mountains or you're not going away from your objectives. And once your aircraft is under control, heading in the good direction, now you can communicate efficiently. And you can really focus on the people you want to communicate with. And you can make sure you're going to get understand. And people tend to communicate too early. That's going to lead to misunderstanding, miscommunication, and crash later down the road just because people aren't really focusing on communicating and listening to each other or making sure they got properly understood. So that's what Aviate Navigate Communicate is all about. And as a human being, aviate is making sure you're physically and um, mentally okay. So navigate is your objectives and the communicate comes after. And as a team, navigate is all your procedures. Communicate are your objectives. And before you're trained to standard, do not go and talk to clients or other business units. Otherwise, it's just going gonna, gonna to get things in, in, in the wrong direction. So that's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that we all... Um in a way our ideal scenario is to work in this way, but obviously to put actual words on it is really nice to have a concept in your mind and maybe a mantra that you can repeat back and forth if you're ever getting a bit lost in the thing. Could you give us a bit of background on yourself? And um, obviously we jumped right in with uh, the aviation topic because you're obviously an aviator, but could you share a little bit more about your experiences before you became a motivational speaker and a influencer as you are today with us?
1: Uh, sure. So I started in sports, uh, triathlon and duathlon and precision flying as a teenager. I did a lot of tr- competitions, um, some amateur world championship, and then I joined the military at 19, uh, right after high school. I got my training as an exchange officer with the U.S. Navy, so I spent two and a half years in the U.S., Came back to France in Brittany, in the northern northwest part of France. Got assigned on Super Étendard, which is a single-seat anti-ship and anti-ground attack aircraft. Um, made it to uh, instructor on that aircraft, and then transitioned to what we call the mighty Rafale, uh, swing roles, all type of missions again from the aircraft carriers, and deployed to Iraq, and then came back um, from the military civilian pilot uh, for Air Canada now and uh, starting adapting those methods uh, beyond the cockpit, uh, as I like to say.
0: And what made what made you realize that this is actually applicable to almost, I mean, I wouldn't say even almost, but every single business, every single type of industry, what made you, what kind of, what was your game changer moment that made you think, you know what? A lot of people could benefit from the training that I've had as a very specific type of training. <laughs>
1: The point, I think, is we're all human beings. And as human beings, I think you really understand and believe it when you start seeing your kids grow. We all learn and do the same stuff at the same stage, so to say. So what tricks us as naval aviator is going to trick you as... Um, financial officer or marketing people in charge of marketing, w- w- our brains are are molded a little bit in the same way. And the challenges we face in aviation are challenges that might get us killed. So we really wanted to find solutions. Um, settling for uh, oh, it's okay, we'll w- we'll find another way to do it another time it doesn't work in that industry. So it yes, yeah, so, so it really motivated us to find answers and to challenge every single day the status quo, and to try to create growth every single day from a soft skill point of view. I think soft skills have become more and more important nowadays in modern companies. I think that's where really most companies could really use all the lessons we learn in aviation, because sadly all the process we use have been written in blood, so they're here for a reason, every one of them.
0: It makes sense. And in terms of, so let's kind of dig into um, sort of the teamwork aspect of, of your method and things like that. What do you think is the key to unlocking a team's collective potential? How, what, what are the some of the best methods to make a team function in a seamless way?
1: Uh, I think Basic training and, and getting enough initial training is absolutely key. Um, in the military, we're not going to give an aircraft to somebody that doesn't meet the standards. So you have to understand that to be a good professional, you basically have to earn your, um, your position in the cockpit every single day. Uh, so Having standards and enforcing them is what makes us function extremely well as a team. It is true in the military. It is even more real in the commercial aviation side because let's say Air Canada, we've got 5,000 pilots. We meet for the first time one hour prior to takeoff. If we do not enforce standards, it's never going to work. Never. So I think understanding, defining standards and enforcing them through debriefings and through a good training is absolutely key. And for most let's say civilian companies that say, oh no, we don't have time to do that. They're just leaving a lot of value and and on the table and they're creating extra stress that could disappear if everybody knew exactly what is expecting from them. It's all about explaining to your teams what is precisely expected from them and debriefing them, teaching them exactly why they could have done better, what we could change and and heading in a good direction I think is really what makes them the aviation world so so special
0: sure and i think one of the pillars of the sort of um, methods that you try to bring on board to, to teams um, is about not only leadership but about followership could you walk us through a little bit about what you what you believe followership to be and why it's so relevant
1: sure um, in the military unless you're a uh, chuck norris or john rambo you're never going to go alone over enemy territory uh, so you always are going to show up with a team, um, which is extremely important. And in the team, you have a leader. He might not be the guy with the most art skills. He's here to facilitate the mission, to give orders and to manage individuals. And this leader is only a leader because he's being followed. So he has followers. And followership is all about the art of being a proactive and effective wingman and being able to help your leader achieve the goals he's been given. And it is extremely important. If you look at a, a cavalry charge, the biggest cavalry charge ever was from, uh, uh, in Napoleon time, Ness, there were 12,000 people charging on their horse and they all follow a leader, everybody is heading in the, in the same direction, it only works because everybody is aligned. Everybody's going in the same direction. So, without those 11,999 men, the leader will be alone on his own and it wouldn't work. So, it's all about understanding the art of making sure your team is willing to charge with you in the same direction and maintaining that mindset in the industry. Uh, so, that's followership. And it's something that you can create. With a good environment, with good style of leadership, but and especially by explaining to your followers what you expect from them every single day. And just to give you an example, a very concrete example. Let's say we're going to go and fly together. I'm going to give you a brief. I'm going to start with what the mission is, why we're doing it. Well, then I'm going to move it to a bit more micro. I'm going to. Start with a big picture. Let's say today we're going to fly over Iraq to help the Iraqi people regain control on their territory. We're part of the coalition that's coming after the Bataclan attack. And we're part of the campaign to regain control of remedy. And today, this morning, we'll have three slots of 90 minutes with special forces from the US or Canada. So I started with a big why. We narrowed it down. I'm going to explain to you how we're going to get there, what radio frequencies, what we're going to be doing there, what the safety points are. And at the end of that brief, I'm going to finish with what we call wingman job. And after 45 minutes of brief, this wingman job is going to be only one or two sentence. I'm going to look at you straight in the eyes. I'm going to tell you today, your wingman job is. And I'm going to make something extremely clear, like, do not fly into me. And it's going to be, I'm going to ask you to be able to drop your ordnance on coordinates within 45 seconds if you need to. And if you see anything on the field that you don't like, you let me know. It's going to be very, very simple, but it's going to be very precise. And you're going to be walking to the jet after having received a lot of information. And you'll know exactly what I'm going to start the debriefing with and what is expecting from you, what you're going to be judged as a professional on. And it makes a huge difference in your brain because you don't feel like I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And during the entire mission, during seven hours in the cockpit, you know exactly what I'm expecting from you. It makes a huge difference, even in terms of stress, professional stress. You know what you're going to be judged on. So that's extremely important.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And in a lot of cases, um, in in all industries, I think people are expected to read minds and, and kind of guess at what they're meant to do. Um, obviously, we have um, different targets and different you know, things that people need to react to in a, in a real-time way, which is obvious the direction you should be going in. But I think, yeah, I think we rely on people to be able to just kind of take cues that are too subtle for anybody to actually pick up on. So I think the idea of having open communication between teams in a, in a way that maybe seems like uh, sort of, really back to basics is is actually quite key. Do you have any um, advice on on how to begin this type of open communication between leaders and followers and, and all members of the team?
1: Absolutely. You should start with a brief. You gather all your team and you explain to them how you work as a leader. Explain to them how you view your own leadership style and how you want them to interact with you. So there are several ways, depending on the culture, your working culture, you could either have them gathered, explain to them, you want to create this leadership, followership um, dynamic. You could ask them what you should change, what is an issue, what they would like to see different, how you could change as a leader. And then you should explain to them, it is not single way, it is dual two-way communication this is also what I expect from you guys. So a good way, let's say in Western Europe, to, to do it is to start by asking them what they need you to change and then explain to them what you need from them. And it's gonna be it's gonna be a good way to, to get started. But it's, it's a good kickoff. But then you'll have to correct, proceed through dichotomy, so to speak, and try to find the perf- perfect way to work all together. So you'll need to have short debrief and Take some time when you're going to gather and make it very short, very efficient, and just in maybe five minutes max. Okay, guys, so the objective was to work better together. What should I change? Okay, now I saw that. I need you guys to do this, this, this. A good example is if you're working on a project, I gave you a project to handle. You show up to me and you say, I've got an issue. It's I can't help. I can't help because you're the expert of the project. I'm not working on the project. I don't know what's in it. So if you show up to me with an issue and not any proposal, not any solutions, it's useless. It's just creating more workload for everyone. So you show up, say, i got an issue. I thought about A, B, C. What do you think, sir? It's going to be much easier for me as a leader to interact with you. So small stuff like that. Sounds very simple, yet on a daily basis, As a leader, when you manage 20, 30, 40, 200 people, it really makes a big difference. It's all about making sure they understand you never want them to show up without solution A, B, and C. And showing them it's for their own good. If they think about A, B, and C, they're creating value. They're training their brain to find solutions. And as they do that, they're going to find out, they find the answers by themselves. And in the end, maybe after two months, three months, they won't be showing up anymore because they know what to do. And also their brain is going to be able to remember better what to do in that situation. Just understanding how the human brain works. So it's all about briefing and debriefing.
0: Um, I think, uh, in general, people, and in, in, like I said before, I mean, g- going back to leadership's ideal situation, I think in a lot of cases is having their minds read. And in the case where you bring solutions, you can already start to anticipate the solution that would be the chosen one. And like you said, become more autonomous and empowered to make that decision without having to take it um, to a person in a position of leadership. Now, in the case of um, a lot of our our, um, our customers, our business partners, and and our industry in general. We're sort of a slow moving industry in terms of, um, moving with the times it's, it's, uh, in some cases we work in an old fashioned way and we have old fashioned habits, let's say. Um, but we also are operating in an extremely fast paced situation. Um, there are, Emergency installations that have to be done, parts need to be ordered, and and sort of the instinct to be reactive is uh, kind of overwhelming, and so people rarely um, respond to the workload in any other way except just reacting, 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 moving forward to try to get try to get through things. Do you think that there is a time and a place for that type of reactivity, or what advice do you have for people who operate in sort of a yeah, what's the next thing kind of world?
1: I think what is important to understand is that being reactive is usually almost an addiction. It's really cool sometimes you, you feel the adrenaline and it creates something in your brain where if you don't have that adrenaline, you're not as reactive and as efficient anymore. And sometimes when you're used to working in those environments, if you don't get this out out stimulus, so to speak, this, this outside stimulus, you're not going to be able to be very efficient at your work. So it's something you wait for. And I've even known guys that are going to wait until the last seconds to really start going to the aircraft. That so they're like, oh, I'm almost late. Now I have to go. And they don't even need coffee anymore. So I have adrenaline pumping, everything. Um, the issue is that's how your brain works and how your brain wants you to behave. But it's not how you should because it's going to be extremely difficult to manage a team like that. But the big issue and the big point you th- should remember is that when the go, when the alarm rings, so to speak, when you have to scramble, as we say in aviation, we have to do the emergency takeoff. You should have already done ninety percent of the job. We say that ninety percent of the of the success of a mission relies in the preparation. Preparation being the anticipation phase. The training to standard phase and having thought about perfect standard operating procedures beforehand. So once this alarm rings and you have to go and, and do your, your emergency work, you should only have 10% remaining. And from what I see in a lot of different industries, it's not 10%, it's more like 50 or 60 due to a lack of debriefing and due to a lack of energy after the mission. So it's not because you're done. At the, at the place you're supposed to work, then it's done. We say the mission is only done once the debriefing is over. So you had this adrenaline pumping, use it an extra three to 10 minutes. Use it to learn from what just happened and to write down maybe some procedures or some, how we call them, lessons learned. What did you learn on that specific mission? And ask yourself and your team that question. If you had to do the same mission again, what would we do differently? And next time you have the same type of mission, try what you did in the and do it differently. And now it's really going to make a difference and your processes are going to change and your processes are going to evolve with the tech you're using, with the world we're living in, and it's going to enable you to keep up with the speed of change.
0: Yeah, sure. I think speed of change is definitely one of the things that we face on a daily basis. Um, it's certainly information overload um, from the perspective of, of our installer partners. Uh, in a lot of cases, even the consumer is more informed than ever before. So they're uh, need to um, go further with their end customers is even stronger. Um, in, in, in a situation where you're just completely overwhelmed and over, over flooded by, by the workload, and, and, and in some cases, I know certainly this is the case for myself, I, I freeze, I, I don't know where to go or where to take the next step. So, so wh- wh- what's your method dictate in terms of that for moving forward and actually continuing to be progressive?
1: So if you tend to freeze, it's basically because what your brain expected is too far off from what is happening. So we tend to try to visualize what could happen beforehand so that we are never stuck in a huge difference like a cliff in our brain, whereas reality is just too far from what we expected. So it's all about anticipation and trying to to visualize what it could look like, what an ejection around above enemy territory could look like, what like... Having your wingman getting shot could look like all those stuff. If you haven't thought about it before, your brain might go in you know, MS-dose failure mode. Um, so it's not something you want. So it's all about anticipating those phase and anticipating that because we're human, because our brain are designed the way they are, and because we're in a world where we get like bombarded with information, at some point you're going to have to step back. And so detecting when your brain starts to become overwhelmed, when your bandwidth is going down. And as soon as you detect it, you step back. You reduce your immediate workload, you go back to the aviate, and the aviate is living that, that brain liturgy, so to speak. So you want st- to physically step back from what is happening. <sighs> um, uh, taking several big breaths is also a good help. And you want to stop this mental tunnelization and go on with a new objective. So ask yourself, okay, what did we just do? Step back, what should we do now? What is a main priority? And you should have thought about it before, but just by breaking stuff down like this, it's gonna enable your brain to regain control to what is happening. And it is extremely difficult if you're used to being overwhelmed, your brain goes in a default mode, hey, I'm overwhelmed, which is not good. And you have to retrain your brain to not go into that dark path, so to speak.
0: It's certainly good advice. I'm going to have to re-listen to this after we're done. <laughs> Make sure I take some of the advice that you're giving out today. Um, I think one of the things that um, we that maybe you face in a lot of cases is is the, the people that you're trying to impart this wisdom to have a sort of, it, it's clearly something that needs to be worked on over time. It's a complete shift of the mindset, of the way that you structure yourselves, of the way that you structure your team, the way that you organize your day-to-day work because in a lot of cases we're talking to people that have been working for a long time and they have their rhythm whether whether it's functional or not whether it's efficient or not it's what people do so I guess what do you how do you convince people to kind of reinvent the way that they work through methods like yours
1: usually the people we work with they reach sort of a plateau and they they' are smart enough to know that plateau doesn't think, to growth. Um, my dad used to run a lot. He was a, he, he a fighter pilot as well. And he every morning he would run eight kilometers around base at the same pace. Do you think he ever won any competition? Maybe. <laughs> uh, if you run at the same pace every single day, the same distance, your body adapts to that type of effort. And after a while, you're just reaching a plateau and there is no growth. So you need to challenge your brain. You need to challenge the way you work to unlock to unlock new levels, so to speak. The efforts and the method that brought you to a given level are not the uh, the method and the way to work that's going to bring you to the next level. So people that understand that, hey, they basically went as far as they could working like this, and they have to rethink a little bit the way they should work. Mm -hmm. They adapt this sort of new type of agility, and this new agility, it's just a, a structure of reinventing yourself almost daily. And that's going to enable them to adapt on uh, uh, almost to, to everything because it's just all about making sure you have enough time with yourself to step back and change the process if needs be. So it's really all about being ext- extremely agile, so to speak. Making extreme agility a routine.
0: I like that extreme agility. I think we all should uh, take that into consideration because it's easy to get stuck in your own status quo even if it's again like not as efficient as it could be so extreme agility i'm gonna take your advice this week and try to implement extreme agility and uh, let's see how it goes <laughs> maybe we'll have you on for another session so i could report back
1: <laughs> if you look at agility itself that now is coming in let's say in france i know some companies are adapting agility it's coming you know from scrum and what most people don't know is that one of the co-founder was a fighter pilot during vietnam so that means that nowadays, in 2021, I've been working with companies that are like, oh, we're switching to agility. And I'm like, awesome. It's US military method from Vietnam. So it's like from another area. And just guys, it's it's already not agile enough. Remember your computers from the 60s? That's where it's coming from. So what I want to say, what I want to share is that we reached a level in technology and in all that stuff where if you think agility is agile, it is, I mean, it's good. It's like almost uh, 60, 60 years old.
0: <laughs> so it's not a, we're not reinventing the wheel here. We're just uh, for companies who haven't uptaken agility yet, they should uh, get on board because it's an old concept that can be re, uh, refashioned for new new a new world. Okay. So one question we ask all of our guests at the end of our segments is what advice would you give to yourself if you could have a conversation with with that person at 20 years old? So what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self?
1: Over-prepare. I think over-preparation is key. And with over-preparation, you will never have any regrets. So always showing up over-prepared is, I think, the best advice you could give a 20-year-old, a myself included.
0: Would you have listened to your advice at that age?
1: <laughs> not sure. <laughs> no, yes, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I was already a bit in the over preparation mo- mode, okay. but um, but I think because not a lot of people do it, you tend to think you might be wrong. But I think it's it, it's something very mm. important. I think it's an important skill to work on because it will never lead to any regret.
0: Yeah. It makes sense. I kind of live by that myself. But then sometimes I question myself, but then I still do it. So the over-preparation is in my instinct. So uh, got it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate having you on the air and look forward to digging more into to your methods and seeing how we can apply them with ourselves and with our partners.
1: Thank you very much. And as, as we say in aviation, is uh, fly safe.
0: Fly safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs>